Well, good morning, everyone. Welcome to Lindsley Avenue Church of Christ. It's good to see all of you this morning. Good to see a couple of new faces and have some visitors. Uh, we're glad you're here and we hope you'll come back each and every opportunity that you have. Uh, I do want to ask if you've had a couple of visitors, and Jeff, maybe you can help me with this. If you didn't get a communion cup, raise your hand. We'll make sure we bring one over to you. And if you didn't get a copy of the notes from today's lesson, you can raise your hand on that and maybe Jeff can bring a copy of that over to you as well. But uh, we're going to be looking this morning at a passage out of Ephesians chapter 4 that I've titled The Christian's New Lifestyle. What is it, how is it that Christians, followers of Jesus, are to behave after you become a Christian? And the contrast that Paul's going to lay out is in comparison to how people who are not followers of Jesus live and behave. And so as we look at what Paul tells us this morning, let's compare ourselves to these two different ways of living and ask, what does my life look like in comparison? Do I have more traits or some of the traits that someone not living as a follower of Jesus might display? Or do I have a series of the traits where I am much more follower of Jesus. Let's dig in to Ephesians chapter 4. Picking up back in verse 17 of Ephesians chapter 4, we read, Now this I say and testify in the Lord that you, followers of Jesus, must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardness of their heart. They've become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. Let's take a look at a little of that. Paul appeals to these new Christians, people who perhaps have not been followers of Jesus very long, to leave their way of life the way they have been living and to live for Jesus. In this passage, he picks out some of the basic essential characteristics of even life and how the heathen are concerned with empty things that do not matter with their minds darkened because of their ignorance. Then comes a key word, look at it in this text. Their hearts have been hardened. Their hearts are hardened. The word that Paul uses for the hardness of their hearts is actually a pretty grim and terrible word. Uh, this word originally meant a stone that was harder than marble, and it came to have certain medical uses. It was used for the material which can form in the joints and can paralyze action and movement in the joints. It was used of the area that forms where a bone has been broken and reset, reformed and healed. And that new material, that new joint is harder than the original bone had been. Finally, the word came to mean the loss of all power of sensation. It came to mean something which had become so hardened and so petrified it didn't have the power to feel at all. That's what Paul says the heathen life was like. The heathen life had become so hardened that it had lost the power of feeling. And then he actually says that they had become callous. I don't know about you, but sometimes, depending on what you do day to day, your hands or your feet can get calluses on them. And if you don't have calluses and you start trying to do different types of work, you're in for a whole lot of blisters. The calluses develop to reduce the sensitivity, if you will, of the skin and to make it tougher. But if we were all callous, then you wouldn't have a tough time picking up a glass or feeling a tender touch. Callousness means, when we say somebody's pretty callous, we say they're without feeling or they have very little feeling. 
the Gentiles and the way they were living had lost the power to feel consequences of their action and to feel for other people. Paul then uses two other pretty terrible words to describe the way the Gentiles were living. Uh, the word for sensuality here says they have become callous and given themselves up to sensuality. Plato described it as impudence, and another writer as preparedness for every pleasure. Preparedness for every pleasure. You know, people usually try to hide sin, at least in the past. They try to hide things they're involved in that are, are improper or sinful. But the one who has this characteristic doesn't care how much they shock public uh, opinion as long as they can satisfy the desires of what they want. Sin can get such a grip on someone that all decency and shame can just disappear. Some of the Gentiles were like this. It's been said that when Paul was in Corinth that you had, to have, you had trouble walking because of people engaged in immorality lying in the middle of the street. People that are that open about their uh, sinful behaviors, about their immorality, where they don't even care if they're in the middle of the street would have this characteristic. He also then says that they were greedy to practice every kind of impurity. This word was described as arrogant greediness and the accursed love of possession, possessing. Uh, what, what we're talking about here is this desire to possess things that others have without caring that you're actually taking it from someone. You're ready to sacrifice your neighbor as long as it satisfies your own desire. Sacrificing others as long as you get what you want. This desire to possess things we don't have any right to possess. And that afflicted the souls, the lives of many of these Gentiles as well. I would suggest that's exactly how many people who do not know Jesus behave today. Very little has changed. And it's even worse when you see shadows of that cropping up from time to time in the lives of the followers of Jesus. Can't let that happen. Pick up again. All of these characteristics of the Gentiles, all of these ways of living which we're not supposed to have, look what he says. But that is not how you learn Christ. That's not what you were taught about to become a follower of Jesus. It shouldn't be found in you either. So I really suspect Paul's writing, but if he had been speaking, it would have pounded on a podium if he had one. And sometimes in the Wednesday night classes, that would have been a little tough since podiums look like big piles of rock that the tourist agencies want you to go see as a podium of Jesus. You may remember that from our Wednesday night class. But he says that is not the way you learn Christ. Assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus, and all of these people he's writing to would have been in a gathering of Christians. So they were taught. They should know. They had learned. What? What had they learned? What had they been taught? To put off your old self, which belongs to the former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. You know, that's a common uh, theme in many of Paul's letters and many of his writings. It's as if living our lives before we knew about Jesus, we had a certain set of clothes on. And these clothes are very dirty. They're full of 
actions and activities and mindsets that you can't carry on with you once you learn about Jesus, once you become one of his followers, once you become a member of his family. And you have to take off those old clothes and you're supposed to change them for the new clothes that are totally different than the way you used to appear, the way you used to to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, to put on your new self, created after the likeness of God. How does God act in the world? What qualities does God possess? Those are the qualities I am to be working to acquire. And the basic formation, the basic foundation of all that is just love. You know, our, our theme for the year, you remember our New Year's resolution? All the way back in January was to love God and love our neighbor. And really and truly, you can't show that you love God unless you love your neighbor. So that's why we are to be busy showing love and acceptance to our neighbors. To have that attitude of love and caring each and everything that we do. And when you get to the word but, remember I said before too, look for the word but in a series of verses. Because that will be the turning point where the former passage, the former idea is changing. And in this case, it is a good change. All these ways that the Gentiles have been living, but not you. As members of God's family, we really ought to know better than to continue living like that. We were taught to put off the old manner of life and the old person and put on the new, to be renewed in our minds and to put on the new self who lives in righteousness and holiness. Does that describe that describe you. Over the last week, there have been a little drone flying around, watching you, watching me, all week. What would my actions, what would my responses to other people have demonstrated? Would it have looked like I was dressed in the new clothes that Jesus would want me to wear, or would I have looked more like I was still wearing the old stuff? It's a good question to ask. Pick up again. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Paul's been saying that when someone becomes a Christian, the old life has to be put off as you would an old coat you don't need anymore. Here's Paul starts speaking of things that have to be also banished from the Christian life. There must be no more falsehood. There's the lie of speech, a deliberate, and sometimes unconscious if you do it often enough. Truth requires an effort. Speak the truth. You can't lie to yourself or other people anymore. Speak the truth. As members of God's family, we should be truth speakers. There's also the lie of silence. You know, sometimes silence gives approval to an action which we know is wrong. You can't stand by quietly let sin go unchallenged. We just can't do it. Um, he also gives a reason for telling the truth. It's because we're members of one body. How can you lie to yourself? How can you lie to family? You shouldn't be doing that anymore. We can live in safety only if we have true messages, true statements being made to each other. A body can only function properly if the, the pain signal coming up from the leg is actually correct. You know, I mean, People that have false images of pain are always trying to solve a problem that isn't there. It's also the reverse is a big problem. You don't feel the pain somewhere. 
and yet you actually need medical attention. Very, very bad. Truth is really important. If we're all bound into one body, then the body needs to speak truth one to another. Each part speaking truth to the other parts. Very, very important. There's also cannot be anger of the wrong type in our Christian life. You know, sometimes we get told to not have any anger at all. That's not true. It's not true. There are different forms of anger. Some is righteous anger, and some is anger that comes from the devil. Bad temper, irritability, or without offense. We really shouldn't have those. We've got to learn to master ourselves, master our passions enough to stop that type of response to people. But there's an anger that is needed. There were times when Jesus was visibly angry. He overturned the temple, uh, the tables in the temple, when he saw people turning the house of God into a den of thieves. He was angry when the scribes and Pharisees were watching him to see if he would heal the man with the withered hand on the Sabbath day. And he's pretty irritable when he speaks back to them. Is it, is it proper to do good or evil on the Sabbath day? Which is it? He says, which of you that had some sort of an animal in a ditch wouldn't go out and get him out even on the Sabbath? Therefore, it is good to do good. Today, it would be uh, something similar. Who's going to get upset with you if you don't assemble at, at uh, services time because you were helping somebody on the side of the road? You know, I mean, how crazy is that? There's, some, there's been an auto accident, and you come up with it. The person's obviously injured and bleeding. Brother would like to help you, but that will make me late for it. the Avenue. What? What? So that's the crazy idea here when Jesus got visibly angry. It is always the right time to do the right thing. He was angry when he made a whip. We talked about this and drove the changers of money uh, from the temple grounds. So don't fall to the trap. There's no cause for anger. Irritability is what we are to avoid. Paul goes on to say that the Christian should never let the sun go down on your wrath. What do you mean by that, Paul? Well, his advice is sound because the longer you put off solving a quarrel, the longer you put off trying to find a resolution to the disagreement to bury the hatchet, so to speak, without actually getting a hatchet, right? Then the less likely you are to ever actually address the problem. If there's trouble between me and someone else, if there's trouble, trouble between you and someone else, the only way to deal with it is the longer it's left to flourish, the more bitter it will grow. Now, how horrible is it, right, to have somebody that runs into someone from high school and they still hate each other because of something that happened when they were like 16. And yeah, maybe they're in their 70s and there's a reunion and they get together. It's just crazy. It's just crazy. Sometimes that thing that has made you angry is a misunderstanding. Sometimes it's something that's so easy to fix. Don't let it kind of linger. Solve it when you can, as soon as you can. So if we've been in the wrong, you have to have the courage to admit you were right, uh, that you were wrong, right? That you need to be able to confess and say, my fault, I am the reason why this problem has occurred. So pray to have the graciousness, the humbleness to admit failure when it's on me. He then says this, give no opportunity to the devil. Paul then puts in another command here, give no opportunity to the devil. The original can actually mean two different things. Uh, it can mean don't give the devil his opportunity. Whenever you've got this, this breach, this problem between two people, 
that can often be an invitation for the devil to get in and cause trouble. And that's often, I mean, here in the, the version we have on the screen, it actually has the word devil in there. And that's, that's the interpretation of that meaning. However, there's another meaning it can have. The, the word for devil is diabolos, and it really just means slanderer. Slanderer. Someone who slanders another person. Uh, Martin Luther, for example, took it to mean give the slanderer no place in your life. He wasn't talking about the devil in his interpretation of that. So you can either say heal anger and divisions between brothers and sisters so that the devil doesn't get a foothold in your life, or don't hang around with someone who's a slanderer who talks about other people and causes situations of anger, causes situations where brothers and sisters can pull apart. If you're around someone that's telling a tale on somebody else, that's a good uh, circumstance to walk away from. Either one of those is consistent with what Paul is saying here in Ephesians 4. Let the thief no longer steal, but let him labor doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. The one who was the thief needs to become an honest worker. So in the ancient world, thieving was rampant. All you have to do is to be in a very populated place sometimes in America, and you may worry about whether your wallet's still in your pocket. There are plenty of thieves everywhere. The, the news shows people busting out, I think it was 50 some odd windows in a hotel near the airport overnight. Security camera showed them just popping the window and looking through the cars. Thieving is very rampant today. It was very rampant then. If you're a thief and you become a member of God's family, you've got to stop. It's time to become an honest worker. What's the reason he gives to be an honest worker? You know, sometimes you'll hear, you know, if you can get a job so that you can have, what? More stuff. You can have more stuff. Why are you working? I got there to have more stuff. I need a bigger pile of junk to sit on in the evening. That's not the reason Paul gives. He doesn't say so that you can support yourself. He says so that you can help those who are in need. Work so that you can have extra things or some things to give to help other people. It's a new idea and a new idea. Generosity. Generosity. Not being attached on our own to what we may have is the real mark of the child. Let no corrupt talk come out of your mouths, but only such as good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. Do not grieve the Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Paul forbids all foul mouth speaking. At least 2,000 years, I suspect a lot longer than that. People have been talking and saying things that are not really proper to be verbalized. Whether that's dropping uh, different bombs of words that we all would know what they were, or whether it's simply repeating things that are very unseemly, trying to be funny. Paul says, don't let talk come out of your mouth, but only that's corrupt, but only things that are good for building somebody up. You know, suppose, I'm going to pick on Thurlow back on the front row. Suppose I could say something and, and talk about Thurlow's socks. You may not be able to see his socks, but they're over here. 
Now, I could either, I, if I said something that was demeaning to Thurl, that's not something that's going to build up. I could also praise him for having such a, a lovely variety of, of things. Right? He's got patriotic socks on today. You know, I, I like that about Thurl. If you have a choice, say something good, not something evil. Say something helpful, not something that, that tears down. And of course, hopefully, right, by joking and making an example of Thurl uh, in this case, that should illustrate the point. What did, what, did your, what did our moms usually tell us when we were real little? If you can't say something nice, what? Well, what, what was it, uh, Lolo? What'd your mom tell you? If you can't say something nice, don't say nothing at all, right? And so certainly, if, if, if it's corrupting talk, keep your mouth shut. I used to tell our children, one of them's here today, I used to say, right, when they'd get upset, I would tell them, think what you like, keep your mouth shut. Now, I would also follow that up with, we'll work on what you think next, but the first step is to do whatever I can do to keep my mouth shut because I'm only going to make it worse. Now, again, we need to think about what we're thinking, but first step. And the first step often is by having things come out of our mouths, we don't ever get to the point where we start getting our thoughts under control. Job 4.4, 4, your words have upheld him who was stumbling, and you have made firm the feeble needs that say, said by Eliphaz in the book of Job. But what a great idea. Say things that support people. Say things that build people up, not tear them down. There's enough stuff outside these doors that can tear people down. Build people up. Say things that are encouraging and helpful rather than tearing people down. Paul also urges us not to grieve the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is our guide to life. The Spirit is very active in the world today, active in the lives of believers. The Holy Spirit dwells within us. And since He dwells within us, let's make sure that our behavior is not going to grieve the Spirit of God that dwells within the body of the child of God. Do we act contrary to the guidance of the Spirit? It's, it's going to grieve the Holy Spirit, as Paul says. So don't do it. Don't do it. He then says again, uh, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. We really typically know what's not proper. We know behaviors that are bad and behaviors that are good. It's really not that hard to draw a difference or a distinction or put a line between them. Instead, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another. Goes back to that anger too. Forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. I'm not willing to forgive other people. Why do I expect or want or hope and think that God will forgive me? I need to have a heart that is tender and kind. Paul ends this chapter with a list of things that have to go from life bitterness. Resentment, long-standing resentment, outbreaks of wrath and anger. The two words there, one is a quick, fiery anger. Use the word used is when straw catches on fire. Whoosh, right? And the other one is something that just stays and builds slowly over time. Neither one is good. Flying off a handle, 
or being angry for a long period of time. You can't do that. There's also uh, loud talking and insulting language. My wife would probably tell me to follow this one. And a certain famous preacher once told how his wife said, uh, advised him in the pulpit, keep your voice down. Keep your voice down. Because many times when you can feel the level, volume level of your voice getting higher, it's often a sign that you're about to lose it. You're about to lose it. Now, I've been told that I get pretty loud out here. Hopefully that's not because I'm about to lose it. I don't have any reason to lose it for any of, any of us. I just get excited. Right? Sometimes I do notice you know, somebody jerking, like maybe that helps wake them up. There's their advantages to that. But if you can see yourself getting agitated, and sometimes the volume of your voice is what gives it away, try screaming in your head to yourself, stop. Because we need to get away from the agitation that will cause further words to come out that will be less than helpful. We just learn to keep our voices down, and if we don't have anything good to say, say nothing, our lives and the people around us will probably be quite different. Paul comes to this point of summing up his list of advice for how we are to live in our new lifestyle as Christians tells us to be kind. Uh, they usually define this as uh, someone who thinks as much of his neighbor's affairs as they think of your own, their own. You know, it's not just good enough that I have food today if my neighbor is hungry. You know, what my neighbor needs is every bit as important as what I need. So being kind involves treating others at least as good, if not better, than I want to be treated. Kindness is the secret of looking outward all the time, seeing other people and seeing things other people need, rather than looking at what I want. He tells us to forgive others as God forgave us. So that, I would really suggest, is a one-sentence summary of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. You're not going to be angry with other people because God is no longer angry at us, the members of his family. You're going to be kind to other people because God certainly has been kind to us. We're going to be speaking helpful things rather than things that uh, tear down because God is always helpful to us. So, if this does not describe me, if this new lifestyle does not describe me, how are you going to fix it? That's actually a trick question because you and I can't fix it. There's absolutely nothing any of us can do to get our lives right. God's the only one who can fix it. Remember, we've said this before, you can't visit enough sick people, you can't feed enough of the hungry, you can't pray for everybody you've ever heard of before. You can't do any of those things. None of it's going to fix the problem. God's the only one who can fix it. And so if my life and I'm not, is such that I'm not a follower of Jesus, that's the fundamental change that needs to be made. You need to come to God, understanding that He loves you so much that He gave His Son to die for you so that you do not need to perish. 
You need to change your life from wrong to right. Start living the way a follower of Jesus would be living. And then die to the old ways of living by being immersed in water to be raised to walk in newness of life. It's really very simple. If I'm already a member of God's family, then if my life is not headed in the direction it really needs to go, then you pray to God either on your own if you're aware of the failings that you've had and ask God to forgive. Or if you would feel better, you can come and we will pray with you. Our lives need to stay on the road because we're all wanting to head home to God. How does my life look today? God's here as He always is. The choice is yours as we sit in the same.